Well, this is the last part of the series that we're calling Sticks and Stones. It's all about our words and how to better use them. Um, If this is your first week with us or listening online, um, you're kind of coming in at sort of the end of the movie or the end of the story. But the good news for you is that all of the other sermons in the series can be found um, at our website and you can catch up there. So... um, Maybe some of you are aware of a skit that Saturday Night Live did some years ago. Um, It was a recurring skit featuring the character of Debbie Downer. Does anyone remember this skit? You have to be a little bit older like I am, but um, it's one that continues to would come up over and over again. And the shtick behind Debbie Downer was that she was the type of person that could come into any room or any situation and find something to complain about or something to be negative about. And after she spoke every single time, there was that sound effect like, wah, wah, because everything she said was negative and complaining. So they would set this up where she'd be in happy places, like a wedding reception. Debbie Downer was a downer. Or at um, um, a birthday party, Thanksgiving dinner. Even there was one where they were at the happiest place on earth. You all know it. Place with Mickey Mouse, Disney World, and Debbie Downer found something to complain about like as they were about to go out into the wonderful Florida sun to enjoy the day, Debbie Downer said, hey, don't forget, this is the weather that is most susceptible for you to get skin cancer, so be careful. Or when a delicious-looking hamburger came out as they were gathered for a meal, she reminded everyone that mad cow disease is a thing, and you don't always catch the symptoms right away, so be careful. Um, or as someone commented about how cool it would be to work at Disney World, she's like, yeah, I suppose if you want to work under the constant threat of a deadly terrorist attack every day. (laughs) If there was something to find the negative on or something to complain about, Debbie Downer found it. Now, as as I think of myself, as I think of all of you, I'm guessing that none of us, I hope not at least, are as quite as negative and complaining as what Debbie Downer is. But at the same time, I would have to admit, and maybe you do too, that complaining tends to be something that maybe we do or use our words for way too much. And the interesting thing about 21st century Americans complaining is that we live in one of the most prolific and blessed countries in the history of the world. We have more than probably any era in history, and yet we still find the great American habit at times of complaining. And I was trying to think about why that is. Why is that? Why do we complain so much in general? (laughs) And I think one of the reasons is spiritual. Um, that we have a sinful nature that tends to skew towards the negative and not being happy. Um, I think there's some cultural reasons. Uh, Point out two, I think social media doesn't help when it comes to complaining. Not only are we exposed to more complaining, which elicits complaining, but in that regard, we can also, on just about any product, 
or any restaurant, find the reviews, and Twitter is notorious for this, that you could find something and someone that's going to complain about something, even a beautiful brand new puppy. Someone's going to have something to say that's negative. And then in the affluence of our society, we're really used to getting what we want when we want it. And if we don't, then we'll do something different or go somewhere else. And what this has done is elicited a culture, in many ways, of complaining about church, about government, about traffic, about the weather, the Wi-Fi. That wasn't a thing 20 years ago about mom, about dad, about chores, about food, about the boss, about the meetings, about the job. We complain about a lot. And while we acknowledge that it's a habit and that it tends to be quite normal, the thing that I want to catch your attention with is even though that that tends to be a normal habit, I want you to understand that it's not a good one. And our first fill-in for today is just that, that complaining is actually a harmful habit. It is a habit. It's a harmful habit. And I want to quickly show you three ways that it's harmful. The first actually has to do with your physical health, that complaining harms your health. So even if there's someone in the room or listening online that does not be even believe in God, complaining even outside of God, is a harmful habit, and doctors and psychologists have proved as such. <laughs> uh, I was reading from a psychologist named Dr. Travis Bradbury, and he opened my eyes to something this week that I did not realize, but has been proven scientifically and biologically. Here's what he wrote. He wrote, repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. There is something biological that happens to your brain that when you complain a lot, it elicits more complaining. Over time, you find it easier to be negative than to be positive, regardless of what's happening around you. So that factors around you do influence, but in this case, not that much. You'll find something. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people perceive you. And he goes on. And here's the kicker. Complaining damages other areas of your brain as well. Research from Stanford University has shown that complaining shrinks the hippocampus. And I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I don't really care. Um, <laughs> an area of the brain that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. Damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that it's one of the primary brain areas destroyed by Alzheimer's. Did you know that? that there's something physical that happens when we complain that elicits damage to our health. <laughs> Another thing that happens why complaining is harmful is complaining harms your relationship with others. Do you know how almost every Debbie Downer sketch ends? She's by herself. <laughs> why? Because of something you know, that it's hard to be around people that are constantly negative or complaining. It makes it hard. It damages relationships. 
You know this if you've been on the other side of it, right? And receiving or being with that negative person. And lastly, and probably most specific in regards to um, our talk and, and our message for today is this, that complaining harms your faith relationship with God. And what I mean by that is it's something that God does not enjoy or want. It's something he doesn't like. Now, I want to show you that this is true by highlighting quickly probably what is the biggest example of complaining in the entire Bible. It was in the Old Testament. It was a group of people. We know them as the Israelites or the children of Israel. And if you remember a little bit about their history, um, they were slaves in Egypt, and God in his mercy and his grace, and in his power, by the way, freed them miraculously from slavery in Egypt. In fact, so miraculous that while they were cornered by the Egyptian army coming towards them with water, a big old sea behind them, God in his power parts the waters so they walk on dry ground with a wall of water to their right and a wall of water to their left. And just as they get onto the other side and the army still charging, God makes it so that the waters crash down on the army so that they're destroyed. And they're freed from slavery. And guess what the Bible tells us happened three days later? (laughs) They're complaining. Oh, if we weren't back in Egypt where we were slaves, but we had water. In fact, it wasn't that they didn't have water. They had bitter water. They didn't like their water. And so they complained about it and God sent them sweeter water from a rock. And then a little while goes by and um, they don't like the amount of food that they have. And they complain about it. And you might remember God sends them food on the ground every morning like dew. It was little flakes of bread. They didn't know what it was, so they called it manna, which means, what is it? I don't know, but I was going to eat it, okay? And then guess what happens? They get sick of bread. They're at the Olive Garden. They want more than just breadsticks, all right? And so they complain, we want meat, Lord. Guess what he does? He sends quail to them weekly, big flocks of quail, so now that they have meat. And as they continue to journey, they wonder about God's presence. Does he really care about us? And guess what God does? He sends them a representation of his presence all the time. So that during the day there's a cloud and at night there's fire. And then they complain about God taking care of them and God allows it for them so that their clothes don't wear out in 40 years. Now, they probably went out of style, which ladies, I know that's not good, but they never wore out for 40 years. And yet they still complain and they still complain. I mean, they needed to talk to Travis Bradbury. I mean, I, I think we know biologically what was going on there, but it's not good. And in fact, I'm just picking one verse here because I could have picked about 40 of them. In Numbers chapter 11, we see God responding and he says, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. The fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And I could have just told you that God doesn't like complaining. But I went to describe the Israelites because I want you to understand why. 
you can better understand in this section why God is mad when you realize and understand the backstory of all the things God has been providing. God was good. He was loving. Yes, they were in the wilderness, but they weren't slaves anymore. He was taking care of them. And yet, instead of finding blessing, they found something to complain about. And still today, God is good. God is loving. There are hardships, yes but there are things to be thankful for. I think it's helpful to define terms. So when I talk about complaining and the kind that we should mute when it comes to our mouths, this is the definition that I'm working with. Complaining is this, words that express an inward dissatisfaction with God. Words that express something going on in the heart that we're dissatisfied with God. And at first you might think, well, that doesn't happen that much. But when you recognize that God is the provider of all things and that he gives you what you have, whether it's in the closet or in the garage um, or in the car with you, that it all kind of comes back to God's provision, you begin to realize that actually most of what I complain about has some tie to a dissatisfaction with God. And so, here's my encouragement to you. Stop it. (laughs) Stop complaining. (laughs) We can go home now. I got out the message that you need to hear. Now, something tells me that most of you knew before we quoted Travis Bradbury that complaining wasn't good, right? That wasn't a revelation to you this morning. But what's harder is to do that. Because it's really not about our words. It's really about what's going on in our heart, as we've learned in this series, that comes out of our mouths. Before we address the heart, um, I do want to clarify something also when it comes to difficulties in life. Hear me when I say, God does not want you to just bottle everything up when we don't ever share what's truly on our hearts and in our, um, in our lives, it's like a balloon that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and someday or sometime will just pop and explode, okay? God is not saying we can't bring to him our problems and acknowledge the things in life that are difficult. In fact, listen to how Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4. He gives this encouragement. He says, don't be anxious about anything. So how are we not going to be anxious? Well, one of the ways is in every situation, every circumstance, every difficulty, every good thing, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, talk to God about it. Present your requests to God. And so whether it's the Lord himself through prayer, whether it's um, a Christian friend or a Christian pastor, it's good for us to share. It's a good thing for us to express that what I'm going through right now is hard. In fact, David in the Old Testament, as he's, being, he's on the run, running for his life, listen to what he says. It's almost going to sound contradictory to how we started this morning. Psalm 142, David's words, I cry, literally cry. <laughs> I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. So what is it? God likes complaints. He doesn't like complaints. 
The answer is yes. When our complaining is a heart filled with dissatisfaction and an anger and a frustration with God and how he doesn't take care of us and the provision for us and all those sorts of things, God doesn't like that. That's sin. But it's an acknowledgement that right now what I'm going through is tough and I need you right now and I need to get this out. God says, I can handle those. Bring those to me. I already knew that anyway. So it's good to express them. Maybe a good way to bring it together is to say this, that the presence of God is not a place, like prayer, the presence of God is not a place where you have to ignore your emotions and just pretend like everything's great. It's the best place for you to process your emotions. And the way we process them is to share them in trust and in faith and then to receive his truth that changes our hearts and the way we think. So what's the heart change that's needed? The Apostle Paul, a first century pastor, I think gives us some words to help direct us as we now identify complaining as harmful and go about wanting to stop it. And it's interesting, the words we're going to read is Paul is in a situation that would have been very easy for any of us to grumble and complain. He's writing a letter to some Christians in the city of Philippi, and his circumstance is he's in prison in Rome. And yet, a situation that he didn't deserve to be in, he was falsely accused of sort of starting some sort of an uprising in Jerusalem, which just was a lie by the Jewish leaders, And so he's in prison unfairly, and yet, listen to what he writes, Philippians 2. He says, do everything, being in prison, do everything, going to the in-laws, do everything, picking up groceries on the way home, last-minute text from the husband or the wife, do everything, Saturday chores, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And here it almost sounds like by not grumbling, like we can make ourselves pure. This is not some sort of work righteousness or earning our forgiveness. What Paul is referencing, and you see it in that next line, children of God, what he's referencing is that what happens when we stop grumbling and complaining is that we begin to live more according to the identity that he's given to us. We begin to live more in line with the new life that we have so that you may become blameless and pure, more godlike, more like a children of God. That is, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation that he's living in, a messed up, jacked up generation. Then, When you do what? When you do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining, then you will shine among them who? Among who? Amongst the people of your crooked and warped generation. So when we do everything without grumbling and complaining, there's an opportunity for us to shine in the midst of a culture that's filled with grumblers and complainers. 
He says, Philippians, you'll have a chance to stand out, to let your light shine, to the world to see that you're different, that you have a different peace, a different hope, a different perspective, that you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. It sounds like the Philippians lived in a culture where complaining was a habit. Can you relate? I think we've talked about that. And so I think Paul's encouragement, I know Paul's encouragement is exactly the same for us today. In a world filled with people who so easily grumble and complain and argue, when they come across someone who's different, who's optimistic, who has hope and peace and joy, it's like, wow, that's different in this dark world. There's a light that shines as we reflect our faith among, just like among them, like stars in the sky. And, and here's the thing. A light is always brighter when the room is darker. And I know many ways we lament some things maybe that happen in our culture that we've experienced. Let me just say, in the midst of darkness, and maybe even increasing darkness, there is a greater opportunity for light to shine even brighter. It's an opportunity. So our number two thing here, fill in, turning off your complaining helps you turn on your light, Paul is saying. And the cool thing is, Paul here is not just giving you words of direction or wisdom. He actually experienced how this works. It's amazing to think of his situation. And he writes about it. We're going to go back to chapter 1 as he kind of explains his situation. Let me set this up. So you would think that if you took the number one church planter in the first century and maybe in history— off the street and then put him into prison. If you took this person who was willing to talk about Jesus with anyone and everyone off the street and chained him up in prison, that it would have a negative effect on the spread of the gospel. That's what I would think. Paul in prison, not good. Listen to what he acknowledges, Philippians chapter one. Now I want you to know, brother and sister Christians in Philippi, that what has happened to me that I'm in prison has actually served to advance the gospel, to further the message, to get Jesus out there more. <laughs> what? How? Verse 13. You see, as a result of me being in prison, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. These were the people who were in charge of guarding Paul. They were the highest soldiers or guards in the Roman government. They're, I guess, maybe kind of like the CIA. It's become clear throughout the very influential, very powerful palace guard, and to everyone else that's been around me in prison, that I am in chains, but I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters Christians have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Let me ask, how did it become clear to the palace guard that Paul was in chains for Christ? Did they have a vision, a dream? Did an angel come and tell them? Here's how. 
They hung out with Paul, who wrote half the New Testament and planted churches and spoke the gospel everywhere he went. And when you hung out with Paul, you would eventually, and didn't take long, learn about Jesus and his Damascus Road experience where Christ changed his life forever. Wherever Paul went, Jesus, by his actions and his words, was proclaimed. And so as the palace guards saw not only how Paul endured his imprisonment, but the things he talked about and the things he shared and how he acted and how he could have been negative, but he wasn't, and how he could have treated the soldiers, let's say, like any other prisoner, how he didn't. They began to see that he was in chains for a different reason, that he was in chains for Christ. And in the circumstance, Paul saw opportunity. Third fill-in. Even if you can't change your circumstances, you can still change your perspective. Now, if you can change the circumstances for which you're complaining, do it. If your marriage has hit a rough patch and you're complaining about it, but you're not working on it or praying about it or getting some counseling or coaching or whatever it is, you're not doing what God has put at your disposal. If you can change it, change it. If, if there's a job that is a negative environment and you can wisely take steps to change that, do it. But if you can't, if you can't change your circumstances, then maybe what needs to happen most likely is that we need to change our perspective. And at the end of these verses, the last two, Paul does what I've called this week as his mic drop on this particular section. And I call it that because if there were still some things you're wondering whether it would be okay to be upset with God about or grumble about, Paul takes all of that off the table and does his mic drop for us. Verse 17, here's what he says. But even if, as he's in prison, I end up being poured out like a drink offering that I'm killed, that this trial ends with my execution. If I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm still glad and I still rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so Paul ups the ante and he references what for many would be the worst thing that could happen, death, untimely death. And he says, even in that I can rejoice, and why? Here's what he says in the first chapter. For to me, the way that I think about it, the things that I know, that to live is Christ's, it's his blessing, and to die is even better. It's gain. That for someone who's a child of God, for a Christian, there is always something to be thankful for. And that doesn't have anything to do with earthly circumstances, everything to do with Jesus. It all revolves around Jesus. 
And it's absolutely amazing to think the difference between Jesus and us in the regards to complaining. Um, 700 years before Jesus was actually born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about something that Jesus then fulfilled later in his last hours before he died. Here's how Isaiah the prophet writes about the coming Savior. He wrote, he was oppressed and afflicted, you think? About to face his execution and experience hell because of me. And yet, he didn't complain. He didn't open his mouth. He was silent. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not complain. He didn't open his mouth. And believe me, if Jesus had wanted to complain about Ben, who'd be around 2,000 years later, man, you got some time? If you wanted to complain about the sinful world, righteously, for sure, he could have, about all of us and, and children who don't follow their father and, and promises that are broken and constant complaining, even though I separated a sea for you. And yet he didn't speak because he did not want us to be overcome by our guilt of complaining, but instead to rejoice that it's been forgiven. He didn't complain because more than his health or his circumstance, he loved you and me. And there can be a lot of guilt around this topic. You just leave that here. Don't take that with you. It's a new day, a new perspective, a new opportunity to live in joy because you're forgiven and because, let's fill in, you are blessed. You are. I am. And as I, I say that, I recognize that there are some things going on in some of your lives as I look around here, and some of them I know, and for some of you I don't know, that I've, I've never faced what you're facing. And I can't relate because I haven't been in the depths that you are right now. But here's what I know. Even if I haven't experienced what you've experienced, because we have the same Lord and Savior, I still know that this is true for you, that you are blessed. We just need to look more at the blessings and not complain so much that the water is bitter. So as we close, I have a little application for you that I pray that you take home and do in your daily life. You know, for some of us, or for all of us, if we're going to mute the complaining, we're not going to be talking as much. We need to replace that with something. And I think the Bible gives us direction for that that you can replace what comes out of your mouth and replace the complaining, the opposite would be with praise. Replace the complaining with praise. And do you know what? It's our, our fifth fill-in for today. You get a bonus fill-in. Just think of that. A daily habit of praise 
will help curb the daily temptation to complain. It absolutely does. Because God's in it, because it changes our perspective. When we are diligent in finding something to praise God for, it's thanking him, essentially. When we fill our mouths and our lives with praise, it will curb the daily temptation to complain. Not that we'll do it perfectly, but it will help. And so we're going to model that as we close today. So I need a little bit of class participation. The band, you can come onto the stage whenever you're ready. Um, I need you to think about and share verbally with me some things that we can praise God for irregardless of circumstances, of of who he is, how he acts, what he does. What are some things? What can you praise God for today, no matter what? Spring, I heard. I heard spring. Yeah, how he takes care of us. And kind of it's like his mercies are new every morning. It's like for a Minnesotan, his mercies are new every spring. I don't know about winter, but spring. Someone else said something. I got health. Is it always perfect, John, health? No, but he even gets us through that, right? uh, Jim, did you say something? (laughs) Almost unbelievable or unbelievable? Depends who it's about, I guess. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable love. I mean, man, usually when people have power, they don't know how to love or they don't do it well. But God has almighty power and unbelievable, almost unbelievable love. One more. Yeah. Grace. Grace. Yeah, that, I, I, I think that's the word for unbelievable love, isn't it? Yeah how God continues to love us in spite of the fact that we continue to wander and complain sometimes. All right, so we're going to do this, and then we're going to close with a song we've sung before, but I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to mean more today than it ever has because of this direction from God. So please stand. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, um, man, you're, you're an awesome God. And uh, it's amazing how little old me and little old us can speak and think and you're right there to hear us in the middle of the night, during the middle of a service. And we thank you for that. Lord, um, you know exactly what to give us at exactly the right time. And we don't always get it, but today we're going to increase our trust in that. And uh, your mercies are new every morning. And we thank you for blessings like a warm day and snow that's melting and hope for a new season. Dear Lord, um, we thank you that you walk with us in the good days of health and life and in the difficult parts. And as we take a breath, it's from you. We can't breathe. Our heart does not beat without you, the giver of life. And so we thank you for that. Lord, probably more than anything, because all these other things are kind of an offshoot of it, we we thank you for unbelievable love or grace. It's amazing that you would care enough about us to 
put together a plan and then send your son to suffer hell in our place. And Lord, when, when we recognize for to me to live as Christ and to die is even gain, well, Lord, may it make our complaining a little smaller. And may we raise up on a daily basis more and more our hallelujah, even in the middle of a storm. Amen.